Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mojo DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandas. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode 132. And no, there's not something weird, or maybe there is something weird, but there's no Dustin right now. Brainiac infected his computer. So right now you have me, Stella. This is Joe. And this is Melinda. And we are bringing you the latest comic book news and reviews for the weeks of February 16th through March 1st. So we actually have one bit of comic news. And on February 18th, DC Comics releases solicitations for May. And there were three bits that were interesting. First of all, the the second round of Batman Eternals coming in, or the second month. And we get a change-up of artists. Uh, originally from issues one through three, we had Jason Fabek. And then for four, we had Dustin Nguyen. And now five, uh, we have art by Andy Clark. Batman Eternal 6, we have art by Trevor McCarthy. 7, art by Emmanuel Simeone. And 8, we have art by Guillaume March. So any thoughts on just this change-up? And do you think it will be weird to go from one issue to the next with completely different artists? I think it will definitely be weird, especially as they all have very distinct art styles. And um, assuming that it's going to be the same story arc jumping from issue to issue and having it change so drastically is going to be a bit difficult to accustom to. But we've had that before many times. And even in the same issues when artists are delayed and stuff. So it's nothing we haven't seen before. But uh, it's a shame that they can maybe work it out you know, in advance so that we'd have a solid story arc of one artist and then, yeah. then move on to the next one. It kind of makes me curious if um, Fabok did the first few issues and kind of maybe got a little bit burnt out. Mm-hmm. And so they're bringing in people to, to cover for him. But, I mean, all of these people, like Joe said, have really distinct art styles. So it's, it's either going to be really good or really bad for you, depending on your personal taste. So... Yeah, yeah, I certainly always love consistency and having a fluid movement from one issue uh, to the next, especially if it's uh, like one whole story. So it would be kind of interesting to see how how all these uh, come together, and we'll see if we get to see Feet again with Gia March, especially since that one, the solicitation reads, is Stephanie Brown an assassination target? The, like, shortest solicitation I've ever read, but uh, I guess we'll see about that. Another solicitation, let's see here, we get our first look at the New 52 Future's End, and this is also a weekly series, so five years from now, the DC Universe is reeling with, uh, reeling from a war with another Earth, leaving the world unprepared for an approaching evil that threatens to destroy the future. Can a time-traveling Batman beyond help a massive cast of the DCU's finest avert the impending apocalypse? Find out in this new weekly series that will forever alter the direction of the new 52. So here we go. We got another weekly series. 
and this is the big one that we're sort of afraid of. What is this five years later situation? But we have a good good cast of uh, characters, it seems, and, and artists and writers. I don't know. Thoughts on, on how this is going to turn out? I, I don't remember if I said it here or somewhere else, but I'm not too sure that I'm happy, the fact that they're bringing Terry McGuinness into this, because if this is five years later of the like the continuity that we are now dealing with, um, bringing that in as a definite kind of, oh, in five years, Bruce is going to be an old man. And I, guess, well, I mean, I guess it says time traveling, did you say? So it could have come from another time travel back to, well, it's getting very confusing. Yeah. But um, in, in any case, like having that kind of knowing at some point Terry McGuinness is going to take over kind of, there's always a risk of it stilting storylines because, you know, we're either never going to get to that point because we're going to keep wanting to tell stories with Bruce or it's going to one day have to try and fit into that, which is never really a good idea. Um, I was just looking at the creative team on this and it's Keith Giffen and Dan Jurgens, both of whom um, handled Booster Gold, which obviously is a huge time travel Mm-hmm. story. So I think it's it's really interesting that they're bringing those two in on this one and I think the way I'm looking at this is this kind of could be their way of possibly getting out of the new 52. Um, it, it's certainly opening the door for that. Mm-hmm. Um, just based on the amount of time travel they're talking about and some sort of war. It seems to me that these big events always revolve around that. So I'm I'm optimistic about this. Yeah, I, I think the line that really um, makes me think is just the fact that the DC universe is reeling from a war with another Earth, and I think that's the potential for setting up. Well, if the New Fifty Two was this different Earth that like we have been dealing with for the past three years, then maybe our like the universe that we left behind has still been going on and existing. And maybe now after all this, after Future's End finishes, we'll be able to sort of align them. And maybe people who want to continue on with New 52 will continue on with that. And maybe they'll pick up new books, unless that's just too much or too, you know, optimistic. But uh, it, it's I think that this is going to change it. And in a big way, it seems uh, bigger than the forever evil stuff that's been going on. Are you saying that as some kind of uh, like an ultimate type scenario where there's two oh, running continuities yeah say, no I, I, I think that would be yeah the way to equate it uh, i like how you're the one who brought up <laughs> marvel first joe <laughs> i know well when dustin's not here i can do what i want i guess so that's uh, <laughs> away yeah because i I'm, i can't see them completely scrapping the new 52 mm-hmm. um especially i mean the amount of, i mean i guess i'm put as much thought as they should have into it, but the amount of effort they've gone to promoting it, and I, I think they'd lose a lot of the new people if they if they did that. And then going back to the old continuity, I don't think it would feel right. I don't think it would have it would sync up properly and be kind of still going. Well, this isn't the old continuity, even if it's supposed to be. So mm-hmm. I can't see that happening. Although it would be interesting if it did. Um, and again, I'm not sure. If, we, if the DC would dare do the uh, kind of co-running continuities, but uh, I'm interested to see if this does have any effect. They keep saying that Forever Evil is going to actually have some impact, and 
I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. But yep. but um, yeah, I'm kind of trying to take it one event at a time at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as Melinda was saying, the the creative team, at least the writers, stays consistent. Not only Giffen and Jurgens, but it seems Brian Azzarello and Jeff Lemire are also on there. But just like uh, with Eternal for this month, we we also have artists that are just switching from from book to book, issue to issue. And I don't know if that's just going to be a, a trend that we're going to see for this book as well. Uh, my final thing, uh, I just you know, popped on, uh, I saw this randomly, Secret Origins, number two, and I, I guess number one just sort of floated off on my radar, but this really popped on right away. Uh, this one is, uh, I, I guess, just exploring the new 52 origins of different characters, and number one had uh, Dick Grayson, the Robin, but number two actually has Batman. And uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, along with Aquaman and Starfire, but Batman is the one headlining it. And I'm just wondering, do you think this is overkill? I mean, how many origins are we sort of dealing with? We're in the midst of zero year. We've had the zero issues and all these sorts of things. But now we have a secret origins. Um, I, yeah, I think these are kind of more of a throwback to the, the older titles and mm -hmm. are going to be sort of a fun thing for older readers and just to you know, you'll pick it up for one character and then learn about a couple of others at the same time. So they might be fun and quite interesting. But I do agree that I think Batman's had his continuity, has his origin told enough, uh, what with the year and the Detective Comics 27 special issue and and just uh, references and several other uh, stories relating to his origin. So I think, yeah, you're right in that Batman is a bit overkill, but some of the others I'd be interested to read. Especially if it kind of starts establishing proper continuity in the mm, new Yeah. I think it's interesting that Joe calls it fun when looking at the cover. It kind of looks anything <laughs> Pretty, but yeah. poor, poor little orphan Bruce Wayne is kneeling over his dead parents. Um, I don't know. I, I don't pick these up because I really, well, specifically I'm not going to pick this one up because I don't know how many different ways you can say Bruce's parents were gunned down in front of him in a filthy alley. The end. Like we've heard that enough. So unless this is actually set, shedding some huge amount of light on some part that we didn't even know didn't exist, I don't really see the point of it. Okay. Well, that's all for, for that I have or we have for comic news. So we're just going to get right into the reviews. This is, you know, the top of the hour. And first up, we're going to have Batman and Two-Face number 28. You're too late, Batman. Better find yourself another mask. This is me. That it is. Okay. So, um, Batman and Two-Face 28. This issue wraps up the Batman and Two-Face storyline that started in issue 24. Uh, we start off with Aaron McKillen guiding Batman to a courthouse where Two-Face is on a mock trial for the crimes he's committed against the city. Realizing that Aaron has been guiding him wrong the entire time, Aaron is ejected from the Batmobile and released to the waiting police. Batman arrives at the courthouse just in time to save Two-Face, trying to remind him that inside there's still Harvey Dent. Two-Face lights the courtroom up, wanting everyone to burn. Batman douses the fire and tries to reason with Harvey, using his coin to explain things to him. He reasons that the coin has three sides, scarred, perfect, and the side, uh, the point where they join. Harvey ends up escaping only to run into Commissioner Gordon. 
Gordon tries to reason with him, but ends up on the other side of the coin toss when the coin lands on the edge in the mud. Frustrated, Two-Face leaves as Batman approaches. We flash back to the graduation party that Bruce threw, where he ended up introducing Harvey to Gilda, and it appears to be love at first sight. Back in present time, we see Aaron in the prison trying to rally prisoners with the idea of duality and that one side must overtake the other. We catch up with Harvey, who is standing in front of a picture of Gilda with a gun to his head, ready to flip his coin, musing that he feels lucky. As the panel focuses on the picture of Gilda, we're left with the image of blood spattered across her face, Harvey Dent presumably taking his own life. Finally, back at the Gotham City Police Department headquarters, a new bat signal arrives and Commissioner Gordon muses to Batman that Harvey's gone deep underground because no one can find him. Um, well, this, this felt like a really chaotic ending to a really chaotic story. Um, and I, I don't know, thoughts on the fact that Harvey Dent killed himself. Anybody. Or, yeah, or appearances. Uh, you know, it really, I was shocked, frankly. Uh, and, and it really seems like he did. I mean, obviously, you don't see the whole act, but we see the blood splattering. We see that, this, you know, the sound effect blam and everything. But how can you really, you know, take off such a, a beloved character? Because I feel like Two-Face is number two, I think, probably below Joker. For me, I think he's, you know, above Joker. But he's such a, a loved villain that I don't know if you can really take him out without there being terrible repercussions so i feel like something may happen um maybe it's one of those uh, uh tomorrow never or what is it the world is not enough james bond where the bullet somehow gets lodged and maybe he's able to get rid of his you know his evil side but i i feel like even though appearances say that he's dead i feel like you can't do it you can't kill off two-face but that those are just my thoughts uh, yeah i can't believe that they would have killed off um such an important character. Uh, that was my thought as well in some kind of Fight Club esque scenario where Tully then shoots the, you know, his uh, split personality out of his own head. So I was wondering if it was that kind of thing. Um, and then with the blood splatter on the picture, I'm not sure if that was just me reading too much into it, but with the splatter kind of uh, leaking down from the eye looked similar but it was on the other side but similar to uh erin mckillen earlier on in the issue where she got splattered by the acid so i wonder if that's some kind of weird reference or if that's just me uh looking too much into it but um yeah i can't believe that they'd kill off the character but it'll be interesting to see how they deal with it or if they do at all well this this story has seemed like it's really introducing Aaron almost as a replacement for Two-Face because mm -hmm. I mean obviously she's a twin she's now lost the better half or what she views as the better half and she's scarred and it could be their way of trying to introduce someone to take the Two-Face mantle um, I think that was very short-sighted of them because Stella like you said he is he is an extremely important character to uh, well, to Batman, but also to Bruce Wayne, because I think they both view, like Batman and Bruce Wayne, view Harvey Dent as a failure on their part. Um, and I don't think that that sort of guilt ever goes away. I think that deep down, he's he's always trying to save Two-Face because he knows Harvey is still in there. So I like Joe and your thought that perhaps he's not actually 
dead and he's killing the evil side of his personality, that would certainly be something to see. Um, I know they've flirted kind of with the idea that Two-Face can be good. So if that's something that they want to do with this storyline, this is a good jumping off point for it. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Aaron's progression, especially these last two issues? Because I feel like this was um, a poor place to leave her because she was just in jail the previous issue. She was broken out. And like this issue, it didn't really seem like she served much of a purpose. I mean, she was just riding along with Batman for a little bit, ejected, and now she's back in jail and, and potentially leading this squad, this, upri- this uprising that, I don't know, the people don't really seem that interested, but let's just assume that she's having a Will- Willem Wallace-esque speech and they're, they're kind of getting ready for it. But, I mean, do you think she served a purpose in these last two issues and that she could be this, this villain that you think she could be Melinda? Um, I, I think it seems that they're certainly trying to set her up like that. I don't necessarily know that without more screen time, she'll be as effective. Like, I think we would need to see more of her, um, or for her to have had a more solid origin, because at this point, this is the, I don't think I'm exaggerating the number here, 857,000 <laughs> women from Bruce's past. <laughs> Like, there's just so many of them that can they really all be evil? Is is Gotham's society really breeding all of these evil women from Bruce's past? Joe, do you have any thoughts on that one? Um, only that I don't think I ever liked the character. Okay. But, um, yeah, it, I, you pointed out it's a bit strange that Bruce had to break her out of prison in the first or second issue of this what it feels like it's going on forever arc, yeah. um, only to then have her put back in, and it's for this for some reason this time no one wants to kill her. Uh, so maybe they just put her in a better prison. But um, yeah, I understand what you mean about her not really having anything to do. I think they just wanted to keep her present. I'm not really sure what the intent is. Maybe Melinda's right, and they're trying to build her as a replacement, but. I don't. Again, I'm not sure I can see that happening, or or if it does, like William said, it's very short-sighted, and will probably end up being like another her and Two Face kind of face-off type mm-hmm. scenario. Yeah, I was not a huge fan of this story arc. Yeah, um, so no. Okay. Yeah, I think it was good at the <laughs> beginning, but it sort of fizzled out, and it seemed to go on too long. And you were absolutely right. I liked how you said it was a chaotic ending to a chaotic storyline. And at the end, I'm just sort of feeling like what was the purpose of it all? Because in the beginning, I felt like it was very much um, almost an origin story for Two-Face or at least a part of his life uh, as well as this villain here. But at the end, I mean, he shoots himself. I mean, what was the purpose of it all? What was the purpose of, you know, attacking Jim Gordon? And of course, let's not forget the reveal that he knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Ah, yes. Um, I didn't even touch on that one. That, I felt, was tossed in there and then never properly addressed. Exactly, yeah. At, at all. Um, and and that's, that's kind of another thing that I mean about the story being so chaotic. Like you said, it started out good. We've got a Two-Face origin story, which might have fit a little better in Villain Month. But, I, I mean, it was certainly great here. But it went on too long and it seemed to lose the plot the longer it went. But yeah, I 
it's to me, I don't know, maybe Two-Face has always known a little bit and maybe Harvey has protected that knowledge, Mm -hmm. but, but for it to come out like that and then nothing. Yeah. Like for, for Batman to not even leverage that to say, yeah, that's, that's my other half and I can choose to be good. So you can choose to be good. He didn't do anything with that. He just let it go. Yeah, that was, I can't believe I'd actually forgotten about that, which I guess shows how little they played up on it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I think it kind of makes sense in some way. Um, The fact that Bruce and Harvey used to be friends and then I guess maybe not in this continuity because of the flashback before when Bruce walked in on him. Um, He didn't seem particularly happy to see him. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what reaction I'd hoped for. I think the fact that uh, Batman just kind of ignored it in a way. I guess it in one way shows his trust that Harvey will keep that secret and I guess mm-hmm. Two-Face or Harvey has nothing to gain by uh, sharing that. And I think that there is some, like you touched upon, um, there is some kind of underlying trust and, you know, will keep his secret, um, which I like. And I, But... But you would have thought, I mean, rather than a lot of this, like, back issue, you know, creating these new characters and having this elaborate backstory, I'd rather have seen a small, a shorter arc about Two-Face dealing with the fact that he knows who uh, Batman is, knows that it's Bruce Wayne, and, and him dealing with that knowledge and whether or not to share it or how to deal with that. Yeah, I think to a certain extent it puts them on the same uh, playing field because even in that whole conversation with the fiery boys be- behind them, um, Batman's really trying to speak to Two-Face's better half and say to channel it into something. Um, and then he says, like, you did, Bruce? And then there's just there's just a, a look between the two of them. But he, does, he doesn't even, you know, um, deny it, which I think is good because that would just be sort of putting two-faced down on a you know a different level and saying you're an idiot uh but he he just goes on uh but i love the fact that two-faced said you know if you only knew the battles i fought in my head to keep you alive these last few years so i think that really gets to the point that there is still a goodness inside of of two-face and um that they are still friends and i think if there's anyone that should know his identity and would be able to handle it it would be two-faced but it was just so weird i thought i missed something so i had to you know flip through again because it just like popped up and nothing happened after that and then he just talked to him afterwards and said he's gone Bruce long gone so it was a very uh, strange reveal um, but but like I said I think no better character to, to have it with than Two-Face well I'm going to give <laughs> uh, Batman and Two-Face a 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs I'll give it a three out of five Batarangs. Um, actually, I liked the cliffhanger ending, but I, I kind of want to see where it goes, which I guess is the point of a cliffhanger, but I'm not sure when we'll see that. Um, but I'm looking forward to that resolution. Uh, like Stella, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five Batarangs, because I thought the art was really great and, and really stunning in this book, um, even if the plot was a little bit meh. Well, that gives Batman and Two-Face, number 28, uh, technically gives it a 3.333. But I I assume that Dustin would round it up to a 3.5 out of 5 batterings. 
On to our next book, listeners, and that is Batman the Dark Knight, number 28. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. You'll be in a better chill forever. And its title is Corporate Raider. Writer Greg Hurwitz, artist and cover Ethan Van Skyver, colors and cover Hi-Fi. The issue begins at a crime scene, the third of its kind, which in which the victim is literally bloodless and puncture wounds on his chest. The wounds are swabbed and Batman takes one of the test tubes filled with the findings. Batman then does his due diligence and pays a visit to Kirk Langstrom, but sw- he swears the attacks have not been him. Batman says he will analyze the saliva collected and he better be telling the truth. We then cut to a scary and well-built Abraham Langstrom, a man who obviously commands fear and respect. He has been dealing, he has been busy gathering all the man-bat serum from the four corners of the earth, even dealing with Talia al Ghul, Francine, and with his own son. He collected the whole supply and his scientists figured out the rest. It helps regrow tympanic membranes, thus stimulating the auditory nerves of those who have a lack of hearing. There are deaf people everywhere, but all he sees are dollar signs. Abraham also uses the serum for his own purposes. What else is there to do for fun when you are basically an older, modern version of Alexander the Great? Like power, the serum is an addiction for him. He can last the days, but the nights he needs it. At the Batcave, the saliva from the crime scene has been analyzed, and Alfred confirms that it's not Kirk Langstrom, but it happens to be of the same family of DNA, but the most powerful version that has been seen yet of the serum. Batman identifies the need to reverse engineer an antidote and have Lucius on standby. Alfred then expresses how unnerved Man-Bat had always made him because he is the reverse of Batman in more than just name. But before more can be said, they find out Man-Bat is Kirk's father, Abraham. Bum, bum, bum. As we speak, Abraham is flying around, speaking of how his brain doesn't turn off, but his mind and body are hooked into something more primal, as he hunts around a homeless quarter. Bruce goes to see Lucius and tells him about the serum tracing to Patriarch Biopharmaceuticals. Lucius then tells Bruce Abraham was the opposite of Thomas Wayne in business, a corporate raider who buys companies, takes what is good, and then drops the rest. And, of course, Abraham admired little Bruce. Elsewhere, Abraham returns and changes back to human, and Kirk confronts him about it. Abraham then goes off into how Kirk is such a failure, not being able to capitalize on the serum, how much better Abraham is, how wonderful blood tastes, how he wishes he could have been given a son like Bruce, and Kirk better stay out of his way because he will kill him if necessary. And elsewhere at the Batcave, Alfred tells Bruce the history of Abraham with the Waynes, that his parents did not care for him, but he did like Bruce a great deal, perhaps seeing some of himself in Bruce. Batman goes off to fight Man-Bat 2.0 and quickly finds out that he is nothing like the Man-Bats he has countered in the past. He barely hangs on as Man-Bat does many sky tricks and the needle of the serum syringe breaks off on his tough skin. Alfred sends the Batwing back but Batman is unable to hang on and of course falls. I'm sure he's got, you know, some sort of line that he can shoot out. Next, the death battle rages on. Uh, just three questions here. My first is, what are your thoughts on the theme of opposites, uh, which we often see, you know, with Two-Face here. But I feel like this was really brought up multiple times, uh, not only with Man-Bat and Batman, but um, with Abraham and perhaps the Langstroms and the Waynes as well. Do you think it was too much? Do you think that it flowed well? Or were, they, were the writers just trying to get to something that wasn't necessarily there? 
Um, I think it's fairly easy to create opposite characters when you're creating them from scratch and like, writing them to be that way rather than kind of finding these interesting patterns and stuff. Um, this is a character who I believe has never appeared before and has been written specifically for this. And apart from the fact that I think we've had enough man bat as it is, I don't think we need a new one. I think the only time that I felt the issue of opposites or, or the idea of opposites was really forced on us was when Alfred brought it up, um, saying that he was that Abraham was the perfect foil for Thomas Wayne. That was the only time where I really felt, oh, okay, they're they're kind of shoving that at me and putting it on a plate. Other than that, um, as as silly as it sounds to say, Abraham feels like a really comic booky character. Um, you don't, you know, I mean, there are those those corporate raiders that exist. But this seems like a really cartoony representation of one. Um, you know, I want my espresso. If I want water, I'll tell you I want water in it. <laughs> like he was, it, it was a caricature of a person. Um, but I like the idea, and it, it's quite fitting that it goes in this episode, the, the idea of opposites and duality and, and everything like that. I think more so... More than the idea that, you know, Man-Bat is Batman's literal opposite, the opposite of Kirk and his father, you know, one seeking to help, one seeking to hurt, when usually Kirk is, is viewed very much as a villain. I thought that was a nice touch in there. Yeah, and this is something, uh, I mean, we had a hope that Man-Bat would be able to turn vigilante. Um, but our hopes were, or my hopes, were sort of dashed on that. Uh, and now we have another man-bat. So do you think, I mean, is it, you know, Joe, you kind of brought it up. Is this too much man-bat uh, going around? I mean, we have him flying around somewhat in um, in Arkham War that we're dealing with. Um, do you think that Kirk is going to have, is he going to feel the need to, to take the serum again in order to fight his father? Or is he just going to stay on the sidelines and, and Batman's going to handle everything? It definitely would not surprise me if that was the case. Um, either that or it's a chance for Francine to redeem herself. But mm-hmm. um, I think Howitz has kind of been doing his own thing in this series. So it probably wouldn't tie in with what's been going on, which is probably why he didn't mind telling his own Man Bat story. Um, it's just interesting because uh, all of his arcs before have kind of dealt with the origin. And I guess there was touches upon it in this, just with references to the serum and, and why it was created and what it did. And then how um, the Abraham, is that the name? Abraham, yeah. How he's um, managed to take that and you know change it for his benefit. Um, so there is references to the origin of like Man Bat just not Kirk Langstrom, the one that we know. Um, it's just strange. Uh, it's not as it's not reached Penguin level yet, but it's just strange how much Man Bat there has been recently. Um, but yeah, I think that's just because Herbert likes to do his own thing in in this book. 
Uh, what do you think about uh, bringing it back to another character, another villain having a relationship with the Waynes and Bruce in the past, especially when he was a child? Uh, do you think this is something that, like, is it just an easy thing to do to bring it in the fold? Oh, yeah, they existed way back when. Because I just sort of think of Lincoln March, which we had in the New 52 with uh, Court of the Owls, that they knew each other. And then Hush. I think about Tommy and that he and Bruce used to play. Um, is this just something easy to do? Do you think it's done too often? I I think the trope definitely is done too often, but at least in this one, Bruce didn't remember. He was so young. Mm-hmm. And it, he wasn't um, really involved in Bruce's life so much. It was kind of a, a rival of his father, but it, it's nothing that kind of makes the Wayne saints, which is another thing I don't like. And it's nothing. It didn't really affect Bruce in any way during growing up. So at least that's the case. It was just a way for him to say, "Oh, he's always been around," um, rather than like he's just flown in from some other state to take over this company. I think it was just a way to kind of explain who he is and where he came from. Uh, like Joe, I think it is probably used too often, but I, I don't think necessarily that's unrealistic. I mean, these were. These were society people who would have had a large circle of society friends, some of whom Bruce would have only known tangentially anyway. So, I mean, I think that that's that's a goldmine they're going to be digging from for years to come because it's it's always very easy for the for him to then or for whoever the writer is to then write a backstory, a back interaction that's going to explain something later on in the plot. I think that that's the biggest reason they keep coming back to it. Um is is just the the ease of writing it that way. Okay, my uh, my final question is, is a bit of a, a biblical question here, but I feel like in literature and and comics, whenever a character is named Abraham, there's a very like um, there's a very explicit reason why that character is named Abraham. And I'm just thinking about Abraham and his son, and you know how God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And of course, at the you know the very last second, God said, "You're you know a faithful man. You did what you were asked, so you don't have to sacrifice your son." Do you think this could potentially lead um, to Kirk dying? Uh, we have this new man bat. Do you think that maybe he'll kill his son, who could potentially be in man bat form at that time if he's trying to help out Batman? But if he gets rid of the the previous man bat, we just have man bat 2.0. Do you think that's a potential that Abraham will kill Kirk and then he'll be the big bad man bat? Um, I also went straight to the biblical reference, but I don't think it necessarily works um, because I don't think Abraham was out to kill his son before God said, uh, "Right, you know, you've got to do this for me." Yeah. Whereas in this case, um, Abraham is definitely ashamed of his son and and uh, doesn't appear to care for him very much. Not necessarily to kill him, but I don't think it quite works. Um, unless it's kind of more of a, he has many sons and he's going to he's going to spawn this kind of plague of Superman bats type things. Um, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, Rick Owens comes from uh, novels and prose, so I think he's he's definitely one to think about this sort of stuff carefully but Mm -hmm. it might just be that's his name um but i i don't think we'll know until later on in the arc if it has some deeper meaning well i'd like to point out he already did say he's not above philicide right in the text yep so it's true i mean that that's there whether or not that's a red herring um but 
kind of like Joe, I went to the Abrahamic covenant side of it where, yes, you're going to be the father of many, you know, you're going to have many generations come from you. And he's, he's also earlier in this said he owns all of that man bat serum. Um, so yeah, right now he's stocking it for personal use, but depending on if this story does take that biblical turn, it's set up that it could go either way. Either he is set up to kill his son or he's set up to create this new generation of man bats, uh, plural. Yeah. And, and in that becoming the father of all man bats. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be too soon after Batman Inc., though, with all of those man bats and Talia and everything, to have another army unleashed upon us? Absolutely too soon. But <laughs> I don't think that has ever stopped a writer from doing something. That's true. <laughs> I guess, having said this, standalone, there was the reference to Talia, which... I, right, um, yep. But, uh, I don't there was sort of references to Talia's Man Bat Army and Batman Inc. They were definitely present, but there was no kind of... It didn't delve into who they were, which I guess it didn't need to because it was carrying on from um, early on in Morrison's run. But, I, yeah, I'm not sure because um, even with uh, Francine in uh, Detective Comics, it wasn't an army of Man Bats, but she had control over other bats and was, I believe, infecting them with this kind of hyper-violence type thing from that one shot, I believe it was. Um, so it, it's definitely a storyline that others have taken. Um, again, I'm not really sure where it's going to go yet. Okay, well, Batman the Dark Knight, number 28, I'm going to give it a, another 3.5 out of 5 batterings. And I'll give it another 3 out of 5 batterings. I'm going to go generous this time and give it four out of five batterings. And that gives, ooh, a nice even 3.5 out of five batterings for Batman the Dark Knight. Now, for other books that we don't currently review on our show, be sure to check out the great reviews that we have on the site. And Benjamin Scott most recently reviewed Harley Quinn number three and gave it a four out of five batterings. And I think consistently that book's been getting good reviews. So definitely check out Harley Quinn. Well, now over to Bat Books for Beginners with John. Welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm that English guy, John. And this week we are covering a little bit more of Batman No Man's Land, Volume 2. In this episode we cover Azrael, Agent of the Bat 57, Batman Chronicles number 17, and Nightwing 35 at 36. These are written by Danny O'Neill, Scott Beatty, Daffid Wynn, Chris Riand, and Chuck Dixon, and it features art by Roger Robinson, Pascal Alexi, Eduardo Burrito, Graham Noland, and Scott McDaniel. 
So let's delve into Batman No Man's Land, Volume 2, Part 9. We pick up Asriel with him at the feet of Nick Scratch. Nick Scratch takes him captive and locks him away. Scratch forces Asriel to change in the costume and then frog marches him through Gotham. Scratch calls a crowd together and taunts Jean-Paul. However, he foolishly listens to him when Jean-Paul asks for the mask. This completes the transformation into Asriel. Asriel breaks free and with the help of Batgirl manages to beat up the goons. He then breaks Nick Scratch's power simply by beating the hell out of him. Batman Chronicle 17 opens with Little Boy Lost, which tells the story of the son of Mambat. He's kidnapped by a man who believes that this is his way up the economic ladder. This forces Francis Langstrom to turn to the Penguin. However, he refuses to help as she has nothing to trade. After she leaves, Batman arrives and Batman gets the Penguin to tell him what is going on. This leads to the Penguin being forced to search for the boy as well. The loss of her son understandably upsets Francis and she takes some of the serum, transforming into a bat. She locates her son and rescues him, whilst at the same time the Penguin deals with the kidnapper. And the issue ends with Francis leaving with her children. Turn on, tune in, freak out tells the story of a TV show broadcast in Gotham, which Batman then rebroadcasts to the rest of America to try and convince them to reopen Gotham. The final story in Batman Chronicle is Identity Crisis, which tells the story of a Dr. Crider who learns the identity of Batman. He then tries to sell this to Two-Face, who does not want to know, and he ends up killing Dr. Crider before he is able to tell him any of the information that he knows. We then move into Nightwing 35 and 36. 35 is entitled Belly of the Beast Part 1, and opens with Batman instructing Nightwing to enter Blackgate and remove Lockup. Nightwing disguises himself as a petty thief to enter the prison. However, as he sneaks in to remove and replace the prisoner that he is initially going to disguise himself as, it all goes wrong and the prisoner alerts the guards. This forces Nightwing to fight KGB Beast and a couple of the guards, getting the better of them until Lockup intervenes, knocking him out. Part 2, Nothing But Time, has Nightwing dropped into one of the prison cage pits. Understandably, the inmates want to kill him and attack him. However, Dr. Crane tries to stop the fighting by saying that if they have Nightwing, they can use him as a bargaining chip to get out of there once Batman arrives. He is also supported by the Black Mask. However, as per usual with the villains, they simply end up fighting amongst themselves. However, they are finally able to put aside their differences to try and escape. They tell Lockup that Nightwing is dead. Meanwhile, Nightwing uses the gunpowder in the gaps of the cells to create an explosive, and the issue ends with Lockup planning to kill all of the prisoners. So, overall, I actually really enjoyed all of these issues. I thought the only average one really was the Asriel storyline. 
I didn't particularly enjoy it. I think it's a mediocre ending to Nick Scratch as a villain. But to be fair, in my opinion, he has been a very mediocre villain all the way through. Now, I know some people do differ on that and they do think that he's a worthwhile villain. But when you look at his performance overall, I can hardly say that he's been a real credible threat to Batman. The only thing that he's managed to do is get off Gotham isolated, which frankly, I think any kind of rival politician or a politician with a motive would have been able to do or would have actually been a much more effective kind of villain in that it's something that Batman can't deal with because he's having to work within the system and work through that method rather than having a effectively tattooed punk looking villain who at best is a vague threat to Batman but at worst just annoying I thought that the Batman Chronicles were a rather good little storyline. It's nice to see extra things, as I've said all the way through, that are happening in Gotham. And the one thing that I've really enjoyed so far about Batman No Man's Land is really how much of Gotham is in these storylines. It's expanded far beyond just what they were doing before. It's become very much about the city itself, and you get all these little bits and pieces and hints and tidbits all the way through. It's nice to learn what Francis Langstrom's doing. Also as well that people are trying to carry on with normal life as in turn on, tune in and freak out which all the way through was a very nice little storyline that whilst all this madness can be going on at the same time there are people who are trying to live a normal life as well. Identity Crisis wasn't particularly brilliant I don't think it's all right as a storyline but I think out of all the stories it's the one that doesn't really further anything that's happening in Gotham that much beyond uh, what we already kind of knew and Dr. Crider is a very kind of average person really he doesn't really add anything to to it and it's not that an interesting storyline Belly of the Beast and Nothing But Time were predictably very good from Chuck Dixon. They were nice characterizations. I do like Scott McDaniel's art. Um, it becomes very much more popular as we go through. So we see it moving into a lot of the other comics. Um, you see it move in and it's in the upcoming things like War Games, Batman Murderer, Batman Fugitive. It really becomes a very prominent and very popular style in the early 2000s. And we'll start to see a lot more of that kind of cartoony feel. But when it's done by Scott McDaniel, who in my opinion is perhaps the master of this kind of thing, it looks really, really good. You get really, really nice action scenes. And I thought it was very, very interesting. The plot isn't brilliant, but it sets everything up. It puts Nightwing in his typically stuck position, which Nightwing seems to get himself into. I've always felt he's a better hero than... He can sometimes be portrayed. He seems to occasionally get taken out rather easily. And it was the case in here that he's taken out very easily. And again, we're seeing it in the New 52 with Forever Evil, where he's been taken out. And I always kind of felt that Nightwing was probably a little bit better than some writers give him credit for. But I don't think that really distracts from what a good storyline that this is. And I did really enjoy it. I thought... The art all the way through was very, very good. The one favourite one that I had was Turn On, Tune In and Freak Out. 
I thought that was a great set of artwork that they'd produced. It was really, really nice. You've got this grainy feel, this grainy tone to it, where you had um, this kind of almost crackly, sepia-toned comic. And I thought that was a really nice set of artwork. I thought it was really, really interesting and very, very different. So overall, I'm going to give this four out of five Batarangs. I thought it was very good. And again, I do recommend that you pick up these issues. So far in volume two, we've had some great storylines. And I think the only one that I've had a major issue with would be the Young Justice storylines, which I thought was a little bit ridiculous. But next episode, we are going to be taking a look at the final few sections. We've only got a couple more issues before we move into Volume 3. And next episode, I'll be taking a look at Nightwing 37, Batman Shadow of the Bat 88, Batman 568, and Detective Comics 735. Then after that, we're looking at Catwoman 72, Catwoman 73, Catwoman 74 and Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 121. And then that's it for volume two. So as you can see, only a couple more issues. But as always, I've been your host, John. Thanks very much for listening. And now I'll hand you back over to Stella and Joe. <laughs> Okay, we now have some listener comments and Q&As, just three of them. Hi, guys. It is Sam again. This will be a very long email. <laughs> so I have something I want to point out. Everyone says that up to the beginning of the New 52, Batman had been working for five years. Unless it is mentioned he has been working for five years in a certain issue of, Bat of a Bat book, I believe Batman has been working for eight 9, 10, or even 11 years. Here is my reasoning. In reading issue number 1 of Justice League in the New 52, it shows bats running from the police and it says 5 years ago, which is why I think that everyone thinks 5 years. But it looks like bats had been around for a year or two to me. If you think about it, it seems reasonable that bats would have one year of urban legend status, which would be his first year, and then about a half year of the cops realizing he does exist and hunting him, which would bring us into the middle of year two, when I believe Justice League origin took place. So, after Justice League origin, people view Batman as a hero, and he probably fights solo for about half a year, which brings us to year three. In year three, he probably took in Dick as Robin. And then, if you think about it, Dick was Robin for a little bit before Barbara became Batgirl, which we can see by reading both Bat uh which we can see by reading both Robin Year One and Batgirl Year One, because in Robin Year One, a younger Barbara Gordon than in Batgirl Year One meets Robin. So I assume Babs became Batgirl in at least four. Year four. In Batgirl number two in the new 52, Detective McKenna says to Commissioner Gordon, Batgirl, she's back. So when Baz was paralyzed and stopped being Batgirl, it seems she was probably pretty well known. So for her to become well known, she probably fought for two years, one year occasionally fighting alongside Bruce and Dick, and one year occasionally fighting alongside Bruce and Jason, who would logically come in early year five. Babs was probably paralyzed and Jason killed in late year five. In Batgirl number one of the new 52, 
Barbara says she was paralyzed for three years before she could walk again at the beginning of the New 52. So that probably means that Tim becomes Red Robin in early year six, Nightfall, Quest, and, and maybe Prodigal. I'm still not sure if this happened in the New 52. Happened in mid to late year six. Jason returns in late year six. Damien comes to the manor. Bruce deals with a black glove and gets the Omega effect in year seven. Dick becomes Batman, and Damien becomes Robin in year 8. And Bruce returns, and Dick becomes Nightwing again in late year 8 to early year 9. And with all the events in the New 52, I assume that would bring us to year 10 or 11 as of right now. Just didn't know what you guys thought of this. Sorry if it didn't make any sense. Also, I want to know what you guys think of happened at the end of Batman and Robin 14 of the new 52 in the end of the issue Bruce tells Damien that he is proud of him and they hug both Bruce and Damien don't usually do things as sentimental as this and I thought it would be interesting to see what it was like when they stopped hugging as a result of their non-sentimentalness also I would love to hear Stella do a Damien Wayne voice impression and a Dick Grayson voice impression anyway keep making great episodes Thanks and bye. Yeah, I, you know, to be honest, th- this timeline thing sort of goes over my head. So, Joe, you're you're our hope. Um, I, unfortunately, I can't find any citations for it, but I believe it has been long established that Batman was around five years before uh, Justice League, which was also, like you said, five years before the start of the new 52 continuity. Right. Um, so I think by the time every other comic was starting, so the issue number one of each comic was 10 years into Batman's, uh, into Batman's history. Uh, but I guess you've managed to, I, yeah, I 99% certain that I read that and heard it multiple times, but I can't find a source for it at the moment, but, um, you, the work that you put into it, I think, justifies that. Um, so I think Dustin would be proud of you with his yeah wall of string and pictures and <laughs> continuity. I swear he has it. I swear he has it. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Melinda? I, I I've actually never talked to you about timeline. Do you have any thoughts on the timeline, Melinda? Um, I, I think the amount of work that went into that was just incredible. And I think you're right, somewhere, Dustin doesn't know why, but a single tear just just rolled down his cheek. Um, <laughs> I think that that makes a lot of sense. But like Joe, I do seem to remember hearing that that five years before the Justice League figure being kicked around a lot, um, specifically within the first few months of the New 52. So, I mean, either way, I think that to say that he has only been around five years, period. People who say that really irritate me because that's a lot of things to happen in five years. Um, and I think it it was really, as I said, just an immense amount of work for him to connect all those links and those, those strings together. So um, I would agree that that sounds like a really plausible timeline. So it sounds really good to me. Yeah, I was just trying to see if I could find anything about this as well. I see the five-year, which is definitely the Justice League. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can find anything. You know, yeah, it, it, 
your theory or your timeline seems really fleshed out. Um, I would, I, I take issue with, with some of the Batgirl stuff, um, but that's just like personal bias uh, and not on your part, but I just think it's, it's filled with problems um, from the timeline, the timeline standard um, and just the, the paralyzing and everything. Uh, so I also wonder how much, because I really like how your timeline brings in uh, things from pre-New 52, like Nightfall, like things that I actually don't know, Black Love and Omega Effect. Please, someone let me know what those are. Um, <laughs> you also bring in Robin Year One and Batgirl Year One, and but I honestly don't know. My skepticism is how much did you know the people actually look at these two um, and think about um, how is this going to play into what we've been doing here? Because from my opinion of the Batgirl run, Simone really hasn't reference that or looked at that at all or else we would have a completely different book so I think the only thing that I would have I take issue is of course the the barber but not on your part but on on DC uh as for the the end of Batman and Robin number 14 what do you think we happened after they pulled away from that hug do you think they just sort of said let's go punch something and ran down to the Batcave do you think there was a, a bit of awkwardness or you know nothing at all and what what do you think happened I think Damien probably tucked his head and just left the room and Bruce probably stood there not really saying anything, but not leaving. I think it was Damien that left the room first. I like to think that Titus ran in, tried to join in in the hug, but pushed Damien over. And that's how the <laughs> hug got broken up. <laughs> oh, man. And then Damien does his classic like tusk noise and swings off. Uh, the voice impression thing, I may have to think about that because um, Dick Grayson, I, you know, I've been doing Stel- reading with Stella on my own podcast and Dick Grayson, I sort of give uh, kind of a, a surfer boy-esque um, <laughs> voice, you know, gee, Barbara. Uh, but yeah, Damien, I'd have to think about that because he's an assassin. He's pretty kick butt. Um, but he's got a bit of an attitude too. So I don't know. I'd have to, I wonder if he kind of sounds a little bit like Ben 10, but I'm sure no one who listens to that knows what Ben 10 is. So we'll go on to our next, uh, questionnaire. Oh boy. It's from Donovan, (laughs) the betrayer of all betrayers. Here we go. Donovan. Hey guys, after listening to the last episode, I thought I'd chime in on the Harper Row discussion. In what's a lame way to contribute to an argument, I agree with all of you. With Stella, I don't think the statement Harper Rowe has been shoved down our throats is an altogether accurate one to make because her appearances have been few and far between. She appeared slash cameoed in the middle of Court of Owls, had a spotlight issue after that, had another spotlight issue after Damien died, appeared in Detective Comics, and I believe had maybe one more appearance. In almost 30 issues, she's had about one-fifth of the series screen time. So I'm with Stella in that the mindset that the girl's been all over the place doesn't feel right to say. Well, thank you. However, I'm with Dustin and Joe in that while she hasn't appeared often, her appearances have not in the least been subtle. I remember in her very first story that we all pretty much enjoyed her. It was only after Damien died that we found her grating, and I don't think that was because she was made out to be Batman's next partner. It's the way in which she was depicted as an obvious future ally that rubbed us the wrong way. She didn't come off as earnest, she came off as pushy, and as readers and fans of the Batman world, we weren't interested to see the next Robin as we were mourning the loss of the current one. 
I think it's a combination of bad timing and mistaken priorities that make the character annoying. She's pretty much the Stephanie Brown of the New 52. Oh, you got to qualify that statement. Stephanie Brown pre-Batgirl, I'd say. Now, before Stella Rance. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Now, before Stella Rance, by that I mean that she intends to help when she's not wanted. The difference between Harper and Steph is that at the very least, Stephanie was acknowledged by the characters and discussed. Harper's not... Harper has not seemed to have garnered any of Batman's attention when she's not in the issue. Has he ever thought about her on his own when she's not there? I don't think so. With that being said, having a flash forward to her being a new partner in totally radical new costume feels weird and out of place. Batman condoning her use of a gun is also messy. It reminds me of the DC Animated Universe's world's finest three-parter when Lex Luthor, in response to Harley's assertion that he was going to kill her, said in reference to Mercy, No, she is. I abhor violence. Non-action is still condoning Batman. Anyway, I'm glad to hear the show hasn't lost a step since my departure. The three of you have done excellent. Wait, what, what? The three of you have done excellent in maintaining the podcast quality, especially Joe. Look at that. I'm happy that after three years, Joe's still hanging in there. He'll never leave, not Joe. All the best, DMG. Well, thoughts on him agreeing with all of us? I was going to say... I, now that he's left, I don't think he should be allowed to offer an opinion. But after those <laughs> words at the end, see, uh, <laughs> I think we should give him his platform. Um, I don't really know how to respond to this because he's basically responding to us. Yeah, so I guess there's not kind much of like, anything. yeah, I agree with you agreeing with us. But well, what, uh, it was nice yeah. to hear from you, Melinda. What did you did you read that uh, particular issue of Batman and? Did you have any thoughts on on Harper Row or just the the intro to Eternal? Um, I think Donovan put it very succinctly that we are not interested in seeing a new Robin when we're still mourning the old one. Um, So she really did grate on me when I first started reading her, and she still does when she shows up. Um, And there's something about her particular uh, archetype as a character um, that really just bothers me because it, because it shows up so often. Um, so I'm not a fan of her. I'm not looking forward to her, uh, her portion of Batman eternal. Um, as with everything, I'm trying to keep an open, positive mind about it, but just my, my ill will toward her from the start is not helping her. It's not helping her case any, so. Okay. And our final question slash comment is from Sunny. Holy hurricanes, Batman. Stella just blew my hair back. What a great theory about Dick Grayson being the Batman we see in issue 28, which is that eternal issue. That could work in so many ways. It would allow for Nightwing's unmasking to not take down Batman's secret identity because they would be easily seen at the same time. It allows for Dick to keep operating and could suggest that the person operating the back computer is Jen, the girl who just had her parents killed by Mr. Zaz. Help somebody pull me out of this rabbit hole. Thanks for another great episode, and keep up the good work. No thoughts on that one. Um, I like the enthusiasm. <laughs> I, yeah, that was great. The holy hurricanes with my hair back. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was just about um, what we talked about when we reviewed that book was who is be who is at the back computer 
which I, I guess would be tough if you hadn't read it, who do you think the shadowy person is? Because it can't be Harper Row if she's with um, if she's with Batman in this goofy computer uh, in her goofy outfit. And then uh, the other question was, uh, what do you think about Batman's characterization? Because the whole thing was about the guns, just like Donovan brought up uh, that. Somebody said Batman doesn't use guns, and he says, "I don't." She does, and you know, obviously, if that's that were Bruce, so problematic, yeah. So uh, that that's where my theory came in because I think if it was Bruce, there would be no way that he's going to allow any gun. But just like his mannerisms, how he was talking, uh, it, it seemed very much a Dick Grayson Batman, which is why I said if this is like some weird story that we're doing i think that dick grayson right now is batman in eternal and that's where my theory sort of spawned because i think that he would be the sort of uh the person to say something glib like that like i don't use guns she's the one using it and be somewhat okay with it but i mean theory okay um the one person that we know who wanted to be batman who was okay with using guns was jason todd um we know they have a better relationship in this continuity um, because I still think that Dick is enough of, he has enough of Bruce in him that he wouldn't say that. Um, and, and that glibness regarding guns, I can't see him having, but that being said, Jason, I can see Bruce being like, you can't let them use guns. You can't let anyone's you, you can't use guns. They can't use guns or no. Well, he'd make obviously Jason swear not to use a gun as Batman because Batman doesn't use guns. But perhaps lacking that bit of foresight, not saying, and no one else can use guns around you. So I can see that being Jason more than I can see it being Dick. That's another pretty interesting... I think the reason we were saying it could have been Dick is just because after Forever Evil um, and his uh, identity being known by the world. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if Stella mentioned it. it wasn't like a proper rifle it was like a electric shock gun um, right so it yeah like, it, Sorry about it wasn't that. like she was running around with a pistol or anything but at the same time it, i mean it was reminiscent enough yeah that that changes it slightly but i would still say based on that glibness about guns in general like my money would be on jason mm-hmm because a gun is a gun, even if it is just an electrode firing gun or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, like, for example, I I was raised around guns, cards on the table here, and as a result, like, I have a very different view of guns. Even a toy gun, to me, is not something that gets pointed at someone else because that's it's a gun and, and guns hurt people. So I think that that is probably something that something that dick would have ingrained in him but less so jason okay i guess that's all we have i think anyways any any counterpoints to that joe uh, no okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> to end that on such a dark note it's okay so maybe starfire <laughs> is actually the the person next to batman and it's not harbor row who knows <laughs> just and then uh, <laughs> no i don't really in front of the back computer there you go. There you go. Yeah, sounds good. Well, yeah, please continue to send in your your questions, your Q and A's, or your I guess we're the A's, so you're the Q's. Send in your Q's or your your comments. You can either email podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net 
Or, of course, you can actually leave your comments for the podcast on the actual website, which is always cool as well. Remember, you can follow us. We're the A's. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and please leave some reviews on iTunes. Say that this was the best episode yet and send us into early retirement. Just kidding. Uh, also be sure to check out the other podcasts that are on the site Uh, there are just so many awesome ones and all of us continue to contribute people that you don't always hear like uh, Donovan and and Ed um, they also pop on and there's just a lot of uh, wonderful stuff that's popping up on the site every day really every week at least so be sure to check those out they come out on Fridays and uh, yeah I think that is it so you've been listening to the Batman comic podcast. We're going to see you in two weeks, hopefully with our fearless leader. Uh, so this is Stella. This is Joe. And this is Melinda. See you next time. This is very odd without Dustin, I have to say. It felt really weird yesterday, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he has <laughs> made mention, like, what happens if I leave the site? Because I think, you know, he, in his ideal world, he'd like to dial it down, his involvement. And this is what would happen, chaos. <laughs> so I think hopefully this is a lesson to him. Well, here we go. Are we all set? Any questions? Uh, uh, what's the order we're going to do? We'll do uh, Batman Two-Face. For... No, as in uh, oh. roll call. Oh, roll call. Yeah, how do you want to do it? I mean, I guess I'll go first since <laughs> I'm, I'm introing everything. And then, I don't know. Does and you then want... you, Joe, your senior cast member. And then Melinda. That's nice. It's like a Joe sandwich because there's <laughs> there <are> two, <laughs> a girl on either side of him. This is great. The first time ever in my life. <laughs> And last, I'm sure. Oh, well, we'll see. <laughs> Finally, back at the Gotham City Police Department headquarters, a new bat signal arrives and Commissioner Gordon muses to Batman that Harvey's gone deep underground because no one can find him. I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> or were they? Were the writers just trying to get to something that wasn't necessarily there? Did the call drop? <laughs> no, I just assumed Joe would go first. Oh, okay. Okay. Now we have a listener. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because well, so... I'm used to when someone introduces John that John actually starts talking. Oh, but, he know. will when you listen soon. Let's see here. Okay, we now have some listener comments and Q&As, just three of them. Oh, dude, this is long. Okay. It seems she probably pretty. She was. Pro- <laughs> it goes on. It seems she was. I just lost my space. This is the end.
Okay. It seems she was probably Melinda. Sorry, I keep picking on you. It's just I I really haven't spoken to you on you know unless we do specials. Uh, you read Batman Eternal, right? Well, that twenty eight, right? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. I haven't, I haven't. Okay. I'm so behind on so many of my books. Like I spent my lunch hour today catching up on Batman and Robin, and The Dark Knight. Oh, okay. So I mean, it says a Did lot. Did you that... have fun doing that? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I sat out in my car, chain-smoked. You know how I do. Oh, my gosh! <laughs> I'm assuming you'll edit that out. This uh, is up to Donna. the cigarettes on the panels you don't like. Oh, yeah, man. pretty much. Again, you know how I do. Um, no, so I haven't I haven't caught up okay. um, on Batman yet. I've... Um, just because of the lack of time I've had in okay. the past few months, but... That being said, what question do you want to ask me? And I can probably answer it. See you next time. With our Joe sandwich. It won't be there anymore, Joe. How's Dolly Gilby the sandwich next time? No, I'm last. Oh, you don't. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, it goes. I'm going to get a sandwich between Stella and Dustin. It's very <laughs> yeah. Yum. That would be good.